Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I am Bryson Carver. We have got a loaded show in store for you guys tonight. Some NBA, some NFL, a lot of quarterback stories. Okay, my Dubs got a big win on Tuesday night, opening night, not just opening night, ring night in the NBA. I want to emphasize the ring night uh, aspect of that. Also, my guy Dak Prescott is going to be returning from injury this week officially, according to Mike McCarthy, he has been medically cleared. I'll discuss that, what it means for Dallas's uh, hopes and dreams of possibly competing uh, for a Super Bowl. Also, at the end of the show, I would predict Saints-Cardinals as we kick off. Can't believe I'm saying this, but we're kicking off week seven in the NFL. We're already a third of the way through, folks. It's 18 weeks, six weeks in the books. So it's crazy how fast this NFL season's flying by. Uh, also, by the way, some great uh, playoff baseball going on as well. Uh, and I'm about to leave my show off with... Uh, with the 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 Broncos Chargers uh, game the other night, which was interesting to say the least. But uh, before I discuss anything, any any of the topics on my show, I, I did want to. I thought it was worth pointing out the fact that for those of you watching on the live stream audience, and I've worn this before, but I'm wearing my WNBA hoodie uh, that, that that Kobe once wore uh, to Laker games, uh, and I wanted to wear that because. Uh, it has been 245 days since Brittany Griner has been wrongfully detained in Russia. Uh, her birthday was actually on Tuesday. Uh, I know a lot of uh, NBA players, including Steph Curry, Carmelo Anthony, uh, point at Jalen Rose, point out the fact that you know her birthday was spent inside of a prison cell, wrongfully detained. Now, obviously, Brittany is not the only one that is, uh, but she is also she is certainly being used uh, without a question as a political pawn um, for the Russians. So. Uh, you know, we send her the very best and, you know, free Britney Griners as soon as we can because uh, that's, that's messed up what's going on over there uh, in Russia. I just wanted to bring attention to that. So, man, I'm telling you, it's – I truly don't think I've ever been more wrong about something than when I picked the Denver Broncos on September the 8th of this year to win the Super Bowl. Now, they were once again – for the fourth time in six games on primetime. So we were forced to watch what is, without a doubt, the worst offense in the NFL on Monday night. 
as the Broncos fell to the Chargers by a final score of 1960. I'll sort of touch on the Chargers in, in just a little bit because I think there's there's a couple things to address uh, in that regard on, on that team. But, folks, I used to be a big Russell Wilson fan, and I, I had a big segment about I'm out on Russell Wilson. I've sold my stock on him, uh, not just as, as a football player, but frankly as a leader. Uh, he had me fooled. But I question. He obviously didn't have the guys in Seattle fooled. I don't think he has the guys in Denver fooled at all. We're seeing some of the facial reactions from uh, Hamler and Melvin Gordon and some of his other receivers. Like they're they're not exactly fond uh, of number three in orange. But yeah, you know, I was thinking about this, and I was just thinking about the last few years of, of Russell Wilson, and I, I sort of talked about how it feels like at this point it's an act. The sort of nice guy image feels very fabricated. I'm not saying Russell Wilson is a bad human being. I don't think he is. I don't think anybody thinks Russell's a bad human being. But this whole sort of optimistic and nice guy act, it seems like a fake. And that was sort of exposed by two of Russell's former teammates. Uh, on one of his former teammates' podcasts, Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch. You could argue probably the two best players on that Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl team back in 2013. As Richard Sherman was obviously the leader of the Legion of Boom, and Marshawn Lynch at that time uh, quite, quite possibly was, was the best running back in the NFL. I mean, he was rushing for 15, 1,600 yards a season. He was borderline unstoppable in the red zone, uh, which is why Pete Carroll, why did you run the ball at the one-yard line in the Super Bowl? We'll never know that. But the point is, they were talking Beast Mode and Sherm. They were talking on Richard Sherman's podcast. And uh, Sherman was talking about him. He said, he's on the struck. He said, quote, he's on the struggle bus. I really, and Marshawn replied, I really want to reach out to dog. And this says, uh, Sherman sarcastically replied to Lynch. Yeah, we'll talk to him. His manager, his manager, to which Beast Mode adds, if I can't call you direct, I ain't calling you, especially if I went to war with you. So, not only is Russell Wilson looking like absolute trash on the field, by the way, while making a quarter of a billion dollars, but also he appears to be distant, unapproachable, uh, you know, condescending. I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of adjectives that I give to guys like Aaron Rodgers and Jay Cutler and Kyler Murray that I can now throw Russell Wilson in that group. You got to be kidding me. So, if I work with you, okay, and let's say, let's just say you're a higher up, right? Maybe you're my boss. And I, and we don't have to have like, we don't have to be friends. No, that's, that's fine. Not everybody's friends with their bosses. That's, that's fine. But... If I want to reach out to you and I have to go through your manager, nah, nah, I, I, I ain't calling you. And if I'm a Denver Broncos player, and then if back in the day I were a Seattle Seahawks player, yeah, I'm not calling Russell Wilson if I got to go through his freaking manager. This is ridiculous. You know, it'd be one thing if Russell was this cold and dismissive of teammates, it'd be it'd be a little different if he was going out there and throwing for 350 and three touchdowns a game. But that's not the case. As a matter of fact, his replacement in Seattle, Geno Smith, a career backup, 
a, a draft bust from 2013. Geno Smith were like, oh, he's he he is what I would call right a jag. He's just a guy. Yeah, Geno Smith is putting up significantly better numbers than Russell Wilson. And so it makes you question, huh? Did Seattle make Russ? Because today looks pretty likely that that was the case. Keep in mind, this is a guy who was a third-round pick. That doesn't define you, but he was a third-round pick. Wasn't top 10 in the draft. Wasn't like wasn't one of those prospects that was like just uber talented and just went to an organization that couldn't develop him. You know? Couldn't clean up some of his flaws and, and help him with his greatest strengths. No, he's a third-round pick. Transferred from NC State to Wisconsin. And in college, he played in sort of a run-first system. In the NFL, his first 10 years in the league, he played in a run-first system in Seattle. And then now, they're asking, hey, Russell, we're giving you, again, we're giving you a quarter billion dollars, basically. It's a new ownership group in Denver. We're giving you a, a quarter of a billion dollars. You are a franchise quarterback. You are the guy. You're on every commercial. You're, you, Everybody's buying your jersey. You are the man. You are the guy that we have been waiting for since Peyton Manning retired, and we haven't been able to replace him since. You are our guy. Let's go win a Super Bowl with this uber-talented roster. And he has played about as poorly as one can play given those expectations. This season, Russell Wilson, 1,400 yards, which is tied for 13th in the NFL. Five touchdown passes which is tied for 23rd in the NFL. Five touchdown passes in six games. His QBR. <laughs> QBR, folks, is 0 to 100. His QBR is 35.8. That ranks 25th in the NFL. Yeah, that's like Mitch Trubisky numbers. So when we talk about, when you hear me sort of switch tunes so quickly on Russell Wilson, it's the whole package. It's not just the expectations that I had. I think a lot of NFL fans, certainly in Denver, Colorado, have for him. But it's also the fact that not only is he playing poorly, but he's completely ghosting teammates. He appears unapproachable. Appears like, dare I say, the celebrity life may have changed him. Because once you, listen, people knew Russell Wilson, the NFL fans obviously knew who Russell Wilson was, and maybe the casual fan maybe knew who he was. But once he married Sierra, it's like, okay, he's in he's in celebrity status. Just like when Tom Brady, you know, when he married Giselle, he's in celebrity status. When Aaron Rodgers was dating all of his celebrity girlfriends, celebrity status. Even to a certain degree, not a celebrity girlfriend, although she kind of is now, Steph and Aisha Curry, celebrity status. You have to be very careful to make sure that it doesn't change you. It looks like it changed Russ. Maybe, I mean, maybe, listen, the way Beast Mode and, and Sherm were talking about it, maybe this is how Russell's always been. And I could be wrong. And I'm not blaming Sierra. I'm not blaming not blaming anybody. This is all on Russ. 100%. I mean, when, it, when, when you're talking about a guy who, you know, a week before the season, flies out to New York City to watch the U.S. Open. Well, only other NFL player there was Saquon Barkley, and he plays in New York. So that's that's totally understandable. So a week before the season, maybe he could get in some extra reps with his teammates. Now he's going to fly him, watch the, watch the U.S. Open. 
He's going to do all these TV hits. Instead of, instead of working with his teammates, it feels fake. It feels fabricated. And on the field, it's about as bad as it could be. Russell Wilson gets the Chargers. By the way, missing Joey Bosa and missing J.C. Jackson, two of their best three defensive starters. 15 for 28, 188 yards, one touchdown, a QBR of 34. He's bad. He's bad. I mean, look at the second half against uh, gets the Chargers. Second half of overtime, Russell Wilson's offense registered a single field goal. That's it. Couldn't move the ball. Russell is once again missing wide open guys, not even looking in their direction. Just simple little check downs. Guy's going to get a first down and probably get even, you know, about 10 yards more because of where the defense is lined up at the time that he's open. Russell's not even looking in his direction. Just like KJ Hamler at the end of that Colts game. Didn't even look in his direction. He was wide open for what would have been the walk-off touchdown. So, this is... This about this is about as steep a cliff as I've ever seen an athlete seemingly in their prime years fall off. I saw Peyton Manning. Listen, I saw Peyton Manning at at 38 years old throw 37 touchdown passes and get his Broncos to the playoffs. The next year, I saw him throw nine touchdown passes, get benched for Brock Osweiler, come back just in time to be a game managing quarterback for a Broncos Super Bowl team led primarily by their defense. I've seen athletes in their older age just nosedive. Matter of fact, that's actually pretty normal. Happened to Drew Brees as well. Russell's 34. He's not old. Especially the standard. I mean, you got Aaron Rodgers winning an MVP at 38 years old. You've got Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl at age 43. I think should have won the MVP last year at age 44. You had Drew Brees who had a couple of good years in his 40s. And at 34, he's fallen off the cliff. Now, Nathaniel Hackett does deserve blame. Nathaniel Hackett, through six games, appears to be completely and utterly clueless. The Broncos' offense has no creativity. There's little motion. The game management situations leaves you scratching your head on a good day, makes you want to break your TV on a bad day. It's a mess. And then you have a defense. See, if I'm a Broncos defensive player, I'm really pissed. Because the Broncos' defense has given up 15 points a game. They're like, come on. We... We're barely give, we're basically giving up two touchdowns a game or five field goals. You can't put up 20. We're not asking you to be the Chiefs or something or the Bill. Could you put up 20? Come on. And so this this is this is bad. <laughs> this is really bad uh, for the Denver Broncos for Russell, who to, to me deserves the majority of the blame. Folks, I've seen quarterbacks work with bad coaches. I've seen plenty of quarterbacks work with coaches. I'm like, God, this, this guy isn't. Like this guy don't this this guy has no business being a head coach. There's actually a guy who's returning to the Dallas Cowboys who's done that twice with Jason Garrett and with Mike McCarthy. Yeah, you can you can win a Super Bowl when you've got beast mode, great offensive line, a historically great defense, a future Hall of Fame head coach. Yeah, as long as you don't screw it up, yeah, you you can win a Super Bowl. It's starting to look like Russell Wilson might have been the game manager that some suspected he was. He just had inflated numbers in Seattle because, in many ways, he was empowered by his offensive coordinators in, in, in with the Seahawks. And we 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 trashed some of his weapons. 
Well, no, they look pretty good now. Geno Smith. Okay. Tyler Lockett looks pretty good. D DK Metcalf. We knew DK Metcalf was good, but he looks even better with Geno than he did with Russ. The offensive line suddenly doesn't look awful. The running game looks really good. Seattle's problem is defense, but you know, that's, you know, that's the quarterback can't affect that. And so, yeah, th this is this is about as big of a disappointment as I can remember by a team that expected to contend for a Super Bowl. And without a question, without a shadow of a doubt, the worst pick I've ever made in the history of carving it up. I will never cost myself <laughs> or any of you guys for believing me uh, the, the embarrassment of picking Russell Wilson ever again. My bad. Okay, that was that's on me. But I, I did for the Chargers too. Uh, Justin Herbert, man, this kid's phenomenal. This kid beat up offensive line, beat up receiving core. A coach who is we talk about Nathaniel Hackett's clueless. I don't know. Brandon, Brandon Staley might have him beat in that category, which not that we didn't already know that coming into the season. But this guy is a this guy's a doofus. Some of his game management decisions are like, man, I know high school coaches that are better at that than, than you are. Like, this is crazy. and so, uh, But Justin Herbert had to throw the ball 57 times. Again, against a great defense. Threw for 238. Only had a QBR of 49, but a passer rating of 66. Herbert did not blow you away in the numbers department. He missed some throws occasionally. But when you're talking about somebody who's working with very little, again, we talk about Russell Wilson, can't looks awful with a bad coach, which, by the way, most average quarterbacks do. Justin Herbert has an average to bad head coach. He's four and two. So, well, the roster's loaded. Roster's loaded in Denver. You're telling, listen, if you want to say the Chargers roster's better than Denver, I might not disagree with you. But it's not far off. Look at the receivers. Look at the offensive line, at least when it's healthy, which, by the way, Herbert's isn't healthy either. And defensively, Denver has the clear advantage there. Especially with the Chargers' injuries. So, what Herbert pulled off the other night, especially that big throw on that third down to make the field goal for an injured Dustin Hopkins that much easier. Uh, man, props to Herbert. He he is he is a remarkable talent. He he really is. And and when you look at what he's done with again a a very average coaching staff, one could argue a bad coaching staff. He he's fantastic. Now, am I still terribly confident the Chargers will make the playoffs? No, because that's not because Justin Herbert. You guys listen. You guys know I was. I was wrong about Tua in the draft in 2020. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wasn't, was, loved to, uh, but I was concerned about the injuries. Thus far, injuries have, have been a factor. I was wrong about Burrow, but... I'm, I was spot on about Herbert. I said, I, I don't see an avenue. He, it's one of those prospects. I don't see an avenue where this kid fails unless he just goes to a crappy situation. He's big. Uh, he's durable. He's a great leader. He's got a big arm. He's accurate. He moves around so well. He can, if needed, take off and run. Like everything you want in a quarterback, you've got in Justin Herbert. 
And so when you see what, the, what this guy's done, it's outstanding. Now, Herbert actually plays uh, Russell's former team uh, next week. Seattle Chargers are a six-point favorite in that game. That'll be a fascinating one. And then you got Atlanta, who's sneaky good. Okay, Kansas City, we know that's that's going to be a barn burner. Uh, Cardinals, Raiders, Dolphins, Titans, Colts, Rams, Broncos to finish the season. So yeah, oh, okay, yeah, Rams. So an all-LA game on New Year's Day on Sunday Night Football. That'll be fun. But Chargers schedule moving forward, it is no cakewalk, to say the very least. A lot of playoff contenders in there. And even teams that we didn't think would make the playoffs before the season that are respectable, that can beat you. I mean, Atlanta just doubled up San Francisco. Nobody thinks Atlanta's better than San Francisco, but... You know, it's just like the movie with Jamie Foxx and uh, Al Pacino. Any given Sunday. But, man, Denver. You know, we, 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 Russell said, let's ride, you know, before the season. And there was that old saying about Russell and when he was in Seattle, let Russ cook. Yeah, Russell's getting cooked. That's what's happening. Russell's getting cooked. It's bad. All right, so. NBA season began Tuesday night, but also we had some games last night that were very, very exciting. The two games on ESPN, by the way, both came down to the wire. You had Memphis beating the Knicks in overtime, and then you had uh, uh, Steph Curry's brother-in-law, Damian Lee, hitting the game winner for the Phoenix Suns to beat the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I actually went to bed right before halftime of that game because you know, it's on the West Coast, and I don't stay up for any West Coast games unless it's Golden State uh, or if it's like a massive LeBron game, like say if he's threatening Kareem's record at some point later in the season. But so I went to bed at halftime. Dallas was up like, I don't know, 15 points. I'm like, man, this is like game seven all over again. We know we know what the Mavericks did, the Suns, and just absolutely, I mean, from the get-go, just it felt like Phoenix was tight. Dallas was playing loose. Luka was shooting well and Reggie Bullock and company. And Phoenix absolutely folded. They were down by as many as like 50, I think. And so in this game, I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go again. It's Dallas has just got Phoenix's number. They're in their head a little bit. The credits of the Suns coming back and getting a big win. Uh, you also had the Jazz smoking the Denver Nuggets, which caught everybody off guard. Uh, I still think that the Jazz are, are, are tanking for Victor. We'll put it that way. They're tanking for Victor Wimbiama, without a doubt. But Tuesday night, you had a Sixers-Celtics. Uh, which was an exciting back and forth until the Celtics kind of pulled away in the fourth quarter. Uh, Boston looked good, although I will say James Harden looked excellent. Kind of looks like some flashbacks to the old James Harden in Houston. Uh, I do think Joel Embiid needs to get more touches for this team to be successful, but they'll correct that, I think, down the road. But what everybody was really excited about was Lakers-Warriors. Now, my Golden State Warriors, the 2022 NBA champions, in case I think I forgot to tell you, uh, I don't know, for the 75th time, but my Golden State Warriors, the 2022 NBA champions, received their rings. And I, I so apologize to the pod, podcast audience that you don't get to see this. You can Google it. Look at these bad boys. I mean, come on. Look at look at that. Look at that. That's 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 Steph's ring. But you see that picture on the left. You can turn the ring, I think, to the right. Turn the top of the ring to the right. And it's only on the rings of Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Iguodala. And inside of it are four Larry O'Brien trophies to signify, of course, the four that those two, those four have won together. So I thought that was a really nice touch by Jason of Beverly Hills, who designed the ring. So props to him and props to the Warriors winning the championship last year and hopefully trying to do it again this year. And they beat the Lakers 123 to 109. Now, when I was watching this game, um, obviously, not that we didn't already know this going in, but certainly offensively, Golden State and LA are just on two different levels. Golden State's deeper, younger. Uh, they've got a lot of nice, nifty veterans 
you know, guys like I really like the game that Jermichael Green had. I think he he can he can play that stretch five role and play like if, if they want to go small, like sort of the place like what Otto Porter Jr. gave the Warriors last year. I, I think he can fit that role well. DiVincenzo played well, especially defensively. Uh, can can kind of possibly replace the uh, the position that Gary Payton occupied for the, this Warriors team. So I thought he played well. But uh, all in all, listen, we know what the best player in the world did last night. Steph Curry. Okay, Steph Curry dropped 33 points. Uh, was it seven assists and six rebounds? Yeah, seven uh, Yeah, seven assists, six rebounds, uh, and also had four steals, by the way. So he was active defensively. And what makes Steph so hard to guard, and I'm, not, I'm far from the only basketball analyst, if you will, to say this, but what makes Steph st- so tough to guard is everybody knows about his shooting ability. Everybody says, greatest shooter ever, greatest shooter ever. But because he's the greatest shooter ever, you got to push so deep on him Right, I mean, the second that dude steps across half court, you got to pick him up, or he's you know he's a danger to to get going on you. You you you, you go up on Steph Curry at half court, but he's so quick and so explosive, which the explosiveness is something he's added to his game in the last few years. It feels like he can drive right past you, get to the rim, and we know he's a great finisher in the basket, especially since he has put on more muscle. Especially his shoulders look way bigger than it did just a few years ago. But he drives the basket. He's a great finisher uh, in the paint. And so that, that's what makes Steph to, so tough to guard. If you leave him open from three, forget about it. You're, you're screwed. But even if you even if you press up on him, unless there's like a, a screen and maybe you can run like a quick switch, Steph's going to drive right past you and get to the bucket. So, you know, that's what makes him to, so tough to stop. Um, Clay played well in the limited minutes he played. Uh, Steve Kerr kind of had him on a minutes restriction, trying to work him back in uh, after he didn't play a whole lot in the preseason. I thought Clay looked good. Uh, the pool party was present. The newly $140 million man, Jordan Poole, um, he looked excellent, had that that burst in the fourth court, uh, sorry, first quarter where he looked good. Andrew Wiggins was very active defensively. But listen, here's the, here's the reality, though, for the L.A. Lakers. Um. I said coming into the season on my NBA prediction show, which if you haven't seen that, have my man Barry Grant Jr. from the All Even Podcast on, so go and check that out. Uh, it's on YouTube and uh, all of the grid podcasting platforms, so go check it out. But I was talking about the Lakers. I said they feel like a nine seed to me. I think they'll be better than they were a year ago. I think at some point Westbrook does get moved, whether it's at the trade deadline, whether they decide to possibly buy him out or just send him home. I don't know. But so got LeBron James, who... I don't know if you noticed, looked pretty good last night, had 31 points. And you had Anthony Davis. You have Anthony Davis, who looked really good in the first quarter, kind of disappeared after that. And so that's all it's all going to be predicated on those two guys' health. Because outside of that, especially when you compare Lakers to the Warriors in terms of depth, the Lakers' depth is what? Patrick Beverly, Lonnie Walker, Matt Ryan. No, not Matt Ryan, the Colts quarterback. They the 15th guy in their roster. It's a really good shooter. Didn't look it on, on Tuesday night. But Matt Ryan, you have uh, uh, my man Juan Toscano-Anderson, JTA. I mean, it's Dennis Schroeder when he comes back, Thomas Bryant when he comes back. Like, it's it's a lot of, using an NFL term, it's a lot of jacks. It's a lot of, a lot of these dudes are, are, are just a guy. And they don't really fit what the Lakers are trying to do. They don't fit what LeBron does best. I've been beating the table about this. I don't know. I don't know who's running the basketball operations in LA. I know Rob Polinka obviously has a massive hand in it, but not just Polinka, but everybody else in that franchise. They don't know what the heck they're doing when it comes to building a team around LeBron. Put 
shooters around him. Look at Miami. Look at that second stint in Cleveland. LeBron had nothing but shooters. That, that is where LeBron is at his best. Because, I mean, we know obviously LeBron's a great finisher down low. But if you have a situation where, you know, the help defense strong side isn't isn't scared to to come and attack LeBron to double team him down low because they don't fear Patrick Beverly or Russell Westbrook in the corner to make a wide open three. That's a problem. And he heard LeBron talking about it at the game. He said, <clears throat> he said, we don't have a lot of, you know, 40% three-point shooters. You know, kidding, LeBron. And I, I think a lot of that is he's trying to tell the Lakers organization, like, dude, we need Buddy Healed. We need other shooters around me because this ain't going to cut it. Patrick Beverly can knock down the occasional three if he is wide open, but you're not going to rely on him to make a big three with, you know, three minutes left in a big playoff game. Uh, Russell Westbrook, we, we always, we've always known he's an abysmal three-point shooter. Anthony Davis, not a good three-point shooter. Lonnie Walker, eh. Toscano Anderson, not a good three-point shooter. Some of the other bigs, Damian Jones, uh, Thomas Bryant, they don't shoot threes. So this is going to be a big problem for the Lakers moving forward. Uh, listen, they'll look better moving forward than they did the other night because they're playing the best team in the NBA the other night on ring night, mind you. But th th this isn't something that's going to get fixed in one year to the point where this is a even close to a championship-level team. Forget, forget that. Even a team that can win a playoff series. Uh, Russ is not the cause for, all, a cause for all the Lakers' problems. But... I'm not going to bash Russ. I, I've, already, I've already done that. We know what Russ is. He was an uber-athletic, uber-talented point guard. You know, triple-double machine. We, we, we knew about that. Who had a about as bad a basketball IQ as you could find in the NBA. Who's out of control. Who's not a great handler of the basketball, for being honest. And who's a horrendous shooter. That, yeah, we, we already knew that. We saw it last year. Heck, we even saw it the, 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 the one year he had in Washington. I thought we saw that a little bit there. We saw it last year in L.A. We're going to see it this year in L.A. or wherever else he plays. Should he get traded or should he get moved in any way, shape, or form by the Lakers? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No He's a bad fit. A lot of these guys are a bad fit for the Slakers team. Listen, we talked about, I talked about on the show, like about how old that roster was, the oldest roster in NBA history. Well, they got younger, but. Aside from, what's the kid's name? Um, crap, what's his name? Uh, coming off the bench, uh, Austin Reeves. Aside from Austin Reeves, who's the shooter on this roster? Again, Matt Ryan is technically a three-point shooter, but I mean, he's, he's still a kid. It's going to take him a while to kind of get acclimated and get used to, to playing at the NBA level, especially playing big minutes at the NBA level with the Los Angeles Lakers, which we know what kind of, what kind of monster that is. So as far as the Lakers are concerned, don't 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 get your hopes up for anything more. A successful season for this Lakers team as presently constructed is an appearance in the playoffs. Not a playoff series win, 
an appearance in the playoffs. Because you still have LeBron James. If AD stays healthy, which I think is a massive if, he's going to get hurt at some point. Heck, he's kind of already hurt. He, he missed a couple of preseason games due to some back issues. It's the reality for the Lakers. They're not a championship team whatsoever. But as far as my Warriors, listen, there's, some, there's still some kinks to work out. Still turnovers, which, look, that comes with Steve Kerr's offense. There's going to be turnovers. All kinds of body movement, player movement. Uh, Steve Kerr, I think ever since uh, Andrew Wiggins came came to the team via trade, he's run a lot more pick and rolls than he had previously. But defensively, I thought Golden State was excellent. Uh, James Wiseman looked good. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I thought Moody played good minutes. I, I, I said on Tuesday's show, I think Moody's going to have a very, very good year for my Warriors. Uh, I think it could be a situation where he's the second guy off the bench after Jordan Poole. Like, I, I think that's that's what he brings to the table. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at, again, like I mentioned, David Chenzo earlier. Uh, who else? Uh, Looney played good minutes. So, and again, Steph looked like Steph. Clay is getting his rhythm back. He, he looked pretty good. Draymond seemed a little off. Uh, I still don't know if he himself has mentally recovered from the, the pushback of the punch on Jordan Poole. I'm not sure what's up there. Hopefully they're able to get that resolved. But all in all, Great win for my Warriors. Uh, they've got the Nuggets tomorrow night, which can be a very interesting one. Uh, like I said, Denver. Denver's going to be looking to come out and prove something because, first of all, this is the team that eliminated them in the playoffs. There's that aspect of it. But they just got smoked last night by a team that I think is the worst in the NBA. And they got housed despite getting Jamal Burry back and Michael Porter Jr. back and having the, I put this in quotes, MVP, Nikola Jokic. And having the death that they have. So, for, for Denver, they're going to be looking to prove some of that doubt against my Warriors. That'll be, that'll be a fun game uh, at the Chase Center. I think the Warriors are going to be wearing like their alternate uniforms, which, if I'm being completely honest, looks like the University of Michigan. Nothing against Michigan. I've got nothing against uh, the Wolverines, but they don't look like Warriors uniforms. They look like Michigan. But anyways, uh, but a good win for my Warriors over the L.A. Lakers. Now, another guy who I'm excited about, who's going to be making his return on Sunday at, well, let's see, they play in Dallas. So at 12 Central against the Detroit Lions is official. Dak Prescott is back. Again, I will put up the hashtag. want to get this thing trending. Hashtag return of the Dak. Just like the Mark Morrison song, return of the Mac, return of the Dak. Try and get this, this hashtag trending soon. But this is exciting. So, again, according to Mike McCarthy, this, this is yesterday. Uh, he has been medically cleared to play. Uh, I think they said he threw like 50-odd passes. Uh, and Dak, by the way, yesterday was a full participant in practice. Uh, says, this is from Jane Slater, expect uh, tomorrow for him to throw 40 to 50 balls. So Dak's ready to go. By the way, I thought he looked excellent during warmups against Philadelphia on Sunday. I think they didn't start him just simply because it's a it's a precautionary move. You know, if hey, listen, if Cooper Rush has played turnover free football, doing what he's done, long as we don't screw it up, we should give ourselves at least a chance to beat Philadelphia. The problem is Cooper Rush threw three interceptions, was inaccurate all night, and looked terrible, and Dallas lost. But now they get their captain back. They get their unquestioned heartbeat heart and soul of the locker room uh, back in the lineup in number four in Dak Prescott. And so what I'm looking at right now with, with Dak, and, and it's, listen, it's great. It's great that he's coming back now, not just the fact that the Cowboys are four and two, not just the fact that they're coming off of a bad performance from their backup quarterback, but I'm specifically talking about the two opponents. 
that they're facing up against. Because you've got the Detroit Lions, who have the worst scoring defense in the NFL. And then you got the Chicago Bears, who have a, a respectable defense, but shouldn't be good enough to contain the Cowboys' offense despite how limited they are at wide receiver. Shouldn't be able to stop the run. Okay, because that that's that's part of the reason, and certainly offensively, that is the reason that Dallas has been so successful in the time that Dak's been out is because they've run the football extremely well with Ezekiel Elliott, who looks amazing on Sunday night against Philly, and Tony Pollard. But again, I'm not going to get into the whole Dak Prescott thing. I'm not, I'm not you know, Dak Cooper Rush. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of done with that argument. I, I think, I mean, if, if I have to convince you at this point that the Dak's better than Cooper Rush, then you just got your, your mind is already set that you don't like Dak Prescott. It's, I can't, I can't help you there. But, you know, we talked about sort of the, the evolution of Dak Prescott when we talked about how, he is, to me, drastically improved from his rookie year. Everybody remembers, he, you know, he was he was excellent his rookie year, right? He, he led the Cowboys to a 13-3 record. Again, he was certainly assisted by the running game. Zeke ran for, was it 1,600 yards? I mean, obviously, Zeke was great that year. He was the best offensive line in the football. They had, you know, decent receiving core with Dez and Terrence Williams and Cole Beasley. Jason Witten was still there. So, and the defense was certainly not what it is now, not even close, but it was respectable. It was a bend-but-don't-break style defense. But in the years since, Dak has improved every single year. Because you look at his rookie year, he has a pass rating of one, but it's 104.9, so we call it 105. Dak has an average pass rating of 105, okay? His next year was, without question, the worst year of his career, a big sophomore slump. Now, some of that was because in his development, he was still a little bit reliant on the run game to be successful. And so that's why when Zeke went down with the six-game suspension, Dak really struggled in those games. And so all in all, his pass rating went from 105, which I think was, gosh, if it, I think it was top three in the NFL behind Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers. Who, by the way, Matt Ryan won the MVP that year. Aaron Rodgers finished second for the MVP that year. And Dak, I think, got an MVP vote. So Dak goes 105 for, for his pass rating his, his rookie year. That plummets all the way to an 86 in 2017. So it's like, oh gosh. Then through the first, was it seven? Yeah, seven games of 2018. You're like, oh God, that, I don't know. Is, is Dak the guy for the future? Because at that point, that's kind of when the Dak Prescott con uh, contract thing started to come about. Was like, okay, he's, he's due for a contract pretty soon, the next year and a half. I don't know if you want to pay this guy. It's, it's kind of, but what I kept saying, I didn't have a show at the time, but I what I kept telling people is like, dude, Look, his receiving core, his best receiver is Cole Beasley. Okay, he's got, what was that guy's name? Um, uh, That Thompson guy, I forgot what his name was. Um, They, they had uh, an old washed up Terrence Williams. They had Alan Hearns. It was like, they had a rookie Michael Gallup. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like, come on, man. What's this, what's this guy supposed to do with this? And with Jason Garrett, a head coach, by the way. Like, Come on. You can't be brutal on the guy. He's got nothing. He's got nothing to work with. And then they actually get him a respectable receiver in Amari Cooper. 
Since that point, since four years ago when the Cowboys traded for Amari Cooper, which, of course, he got traded to Cleveland this past offseason, but since they traded for Amari Cooper and got Dak a respectable wide receiver, okay, his numbers since then, what what he has done for the Cowboys offense, what the Cowboys offense has looked like since then, that you got Dak a somebody at wide receiver. In that span, they are second in the entire NFL in points. They are first in total yards. Excuse me. They are first in passing yards. They are fifth in plays per turnover. They are second in completion percentage. They are fifth in interception percentage. They are fourth in passer rating. They are fifth in point differential. That is what the Cowboys are getting back. They're getting a guy who, just a year ago, Threw for well over 4,000 yards, while, by the way, missing a game. And 37 touchdowns. While also, by the way, having a passer rating of uh, of 104. That's something else I've talked about, too. Since Dak's sophomore slump, when he had a, uh, an 86 passer rating, it's went up every single year since then. Because it went up to 97 in, in, 20, uh, in, yeah, in 2018. It went up to a 99 in 2019. It stayed at 99 in 2020, and then it went to 104 in 2021. Do I expect Dak to have a 104 pass rating in 2022? Not really. Why? Look at his receiving core. Now, I expect Dak to have a pass rating along the lines of like a 97 or 8. But, and listen, I'm not going to make it sound like this receiving core is as bad as it was at the beginning of 2018. That receiving core is probably the worst in the league. It was awful. But this now, I keep telling y'all, C.D. Lamb is a number two wide receiver. He's not a one. Just because he wears 88 and so many great Cowboys players like Pearson and Irvin and Dez wore 88 does not make C.D. Lamb a part of, in terms of production, a part of that group. He's not. I said, well, he had 1,000 yards. He had this big touchdown last year. Yeah, because Amari Cooper was, was drawing some attention on the other side of the field. Yeah, let's 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 see how you look when the defense is game planning for you. Ooh, and looks so good, folks. CeeDee Lamb's a two. This is why I've said Dallas needs to go all in and go after Odell Beckham Jr. And with the Panthers, you saw they just traded Robbie Anderson to the Cardinals who play tonight. And that part of that was because of the the incident with him and the interim head coach Steve Wilkes. But Robbie Anderson was probably gonna get traded anyway because the Carolina Panthers are gonna trade a lot of people. Since they're in a full rebuild, want to get some picks. DJ Moore is probably going to be available. Go get DJ Moore. Go get Odell Beckham Jr. If you do that, here we go. Here you go. You got other receivers who can draw attention outside of just CD Lamb. Okay, you'll be able to get James Washington back from injury. Michael Gallup won't be as, as relied upon as he is now. So with Dak coming back. I expect them to look excellent. Again, the, it'd be different if he was coming in against the 49ers. You'd be like, oh gosh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I bring Dak back this game. Like this is the game for Dak to sort of build confidence and build a rhythm. Detroit, Chicago, perfect. And by the way, after that, you got a bye week before you go to Lambeau Field to take on a Packers defense, which surprised me has not been as good as I thought it would be. A Packers offense that even if the Packers defense does play decent, Packers offense isn't going to back them up. We know that. I'm going to talk about the Packers in the next segment. But with Dak Prescott coming back, does it lift the Cowboys into a Super Bowl contender? 
Well, look, if you look at the NFC, listen, they're not going to win the NFCs. I don't see them catching Philly. Not, not, not as creative as they've looked offensively, not as efficient as Jalen Hurts has been, and not as dominant as that defense, particularly the secondary, has been this season. Especially Philadelphia's schedule. Let me pull up Philadelphia's schedule. Like, it's... Dallas is not catching the Eagles. will have to kind of gag a little bit for Dallas to catch them uh, for the NFC East, even though they're virtually two and a half games back. So next week, Eagles got the Steelers. Then they got the Texans and the Commanders and the Colts and the Packers, Titans, Giants, Bears, Cowboys, Saints, Giants. There's some tough ones in there. You know, Giants into the last five weeks of the season. Giants, we found out, are no joke. Dallas in week, uh, yeah, week 16 on Christmas Eve. That is that is no joke either because Dak will be back in the lineup by that point. But Bears and Texans and Commander, I mean, come on now. If Philadelphia doesn't just flat out blow it, they not only will win the NFC East, they'll be the number one seed and get an automatic buy uh, in, in the playoffs in the NFC. And so at that point, you're saying, okay, so Dallas is probably going to play on the road. So, which division winner will they play? When are the NFC West? That could be the Rams. That could be the 49ers, a rematch, but this time being in San Francisco as opposed to Dallas. Are you playing the winner of the NFC South, which we all assume is going to be Tampa Bay? Uh, I'm, I'm still fairly confident in that just because I, I think the division's awful. I don't, I don't think Atlanta's going to beat Tampa for the division as good as they look. Maybe they can make the playoffs, though. Uh, and then what, what division? The NFC North. Could they play the Vikings? Because Vikings are going to win that division. Packers aren't coming back on them. Are the Cowboys a Super Bowl contender if they don't win the NFC East? No. Because I don't think that three times. Now, it's funny. That's actually how Mike McCarthy won his first Super Bowl with the Packers, with Aaron Rodgers, and with that great defense led by Charles Woodson. They actually won three straight road games against Philly, against Atlanta, and against Chicago to get to the Super Bowl, ironically, in Dallas, where they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers to claim their fourth Lombardi trophy. But th- this, is not a, this is not a coaching staff that I think is equipped. Dan Quinn, yes. John Fossil, sh- sure. Everybody else, no. This is not a coaching staff that is equipped to out-game plan essentially three division winners. That, that's basically what they'll be facing. Because a good chance they won't be facing another wild card team down the road unless it's the NF- in the NFC Championship game. So Dallas would essentially have to beat. It, it obviously depends on what seed they are. Let's say they're the sixth seed. They probably play Tampa. Listen, as bad as Tampa's looked, you you think I trust? You think Mike McCarthy is going to be the coach that is on the winning end of Tom Brady's last game? No. Let's say he is, though. Next week, who'd you be playing? In all likelihood, unless the seven seed wins, which probably won't happen, you'd be facing Philly. Now, that's a fascinating matchup because Dallas had Philly on the ropes without Dak. They could win that game. It's, it's, it's dicey. Let's just say they do. Now you're facing Minnesota. You've seen the Vikings? You've seen Justin Jefferson. As great as Trayvon Diggs looked this season, as it's a basketball phrase, but as Mark Jackson always says, great offense beats great defense any day of the week. Diggs is great. Jefferson's great. Jefferson's going to win. That, that's, that's almost how it always works. So 
No, I do not think this is a Dallas team that can win a playoff game. Maybe I think I can. I think they have to win the division in order to make a run. Because at this point, given the landscape of the NFC, their only real competition for that number one seed is Minnesota, who, by the way, plays in a pretty bad division themselves. They get to beat up on Chicago, Detroit, Green Bay. The rest of the landscape of the NFC, those teams are in dogfights for the division. Tampa's fighting with Atlanta, okay? Uh, in the NFC West, you got the Rams and the 49ers duking it out. Don't forget about Seattle. Uh, listen, stranger things have happened, but I don't see this team uh, as a Super Bowl threat. A a greater threat to get to the Super Bowl with Dak, obviously, just because simply because he's better than Cooper Rush. But um, this is Mike McCarthy we're talking about. Don't 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 forget that. Don't forget that. Where are you, Sean Payton? Where are you? All right, moving on to a team that I just got finished dissing, the Green Bay Packers. Uh Man, the king of passive aggressiveness. I want to present to you, Mr. Aaron Rodgers. So I didn't really get a chance to talk about this on Monday because I was too busy celebrating my Vols upsetting Alabama, which still is a very exciting, fresh feeling. But after the Packers got thumped by the New York Jets 27 to 10, I mean, it was bad, folks. You had a blocked field goal. You had a blocked punt that got returned for a touchdown. Aaron Rodgers was off. The Jets ran the ball down the Packers' defense's throat, which I've said for two years on the show. The Packers' defense is bad against the run. They still have yet to address it. But Aaron Rodgers is talking after the game, after the loss. And he was he said quotes that the Packers should simplify some things on offense. It's simply, essentially saying the reason the Packers haven't been very good offensively is because the offense isn't simple. Now, there could be some truth to that. I'll, I'll give Aaron a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on this one because when it comes to football IQ, when it comes to situational football, I am taking Aaron Rodgers any day of the week, his knowledge over Matt LaFleur's knowledge. I have been on this since he was hired by the Packers in 2019. He's not an elite coach. I, I'm not even sure he's a good coach. Like a good coach. What's a good coach? Todd Bowles, I think, is a good coach. Uh... Take across the rest of the NFL. I'm not blanking right now. Nick Sirianni is a good coach. Like, I don't think Nick Sirianni is as vital to the Eagles' success as he gets credit for. Although I think he's he's a good coach. Matt LaFleur is not a good coach. Situationally, the Packers are awful. When it comes to clock management, LaFleur's awful. When it comes to game planning, particularly in the second half, which I talked about this after they beat Tampa in week three. I said, this is not sustainable. Aaron Rodgers repeated as such the week after when they barely beat the Patriots. He said, this type of winning is not sustainable. They have yet to win since. The Packers, folks, are terrible in the second half. When you look at, when you look at their second half numbers uh, in, in this season through their first six games, Seven points against the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, against the Chicago Bears, three points. This is the Bears. Aaron Rodgers, remember he said last year, I own you, I still own you. And he does. He owns the Bears. Three points of a second half. Against Tampa, goose egg in the second half. Against the Patriots uh, in the second half and in overtime, 10 points. Against the Giants in the second half, 
two points. And those two points came off an intentional safety by the Giants. And then against the New York Jets in the second half. Seven points. What does that tell you? If a team through the first six games, all six times, win or lose, are bad in the second half. Coaching. Adjustments. That's what I've been saying for a long time with Matt LaFleur. Like when people, I don't know if it's because he's young and white. I, I don't know. The people putting him in the same discussion with McVay and with Shanahan. I'm like, you got to be kidding. This guy can't shine those dude's shoes. Th th those, those guys have him. I mean, they've, they've succeeded with all kinds of quarterbacks. Jared Goff got to a Super Bowl with Sean McVay. Jimmy Garoppolo's got to a Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan. Matt LaFleur is Aaron Rodgers and has how many playoff wins? Two? Two? Two playoff wins in three years when all but one of your playoff games have been at Lambeau? For real? Adjustments. You come out with your opening game plan, which, by the way, the Packers, outside of that game against the Jets, well, that's why the Jets game is a little uncharacteristic. Packers have started games pretty well. Okay, they remember they got off to that big lead against the Bears. They started 14-0 against the Buccaneers. Uh, they, you know, uh, who was it they played last week? They got off to a great start against the Giants in London. But when these other coaches, when Belichick and Dable and Todd Bowles, when they make adjustments to what the Packers are doing, when they shift certain things, when they change their game plan, Matt LaFleur sticks to his. He sticks to the script. And even if it's not working, he sticks to it. It's not, it's not, not how you win in the NFL. It's not how coaching the NFL works, especially when you have as limited a receiving core as the Packers do. So to a certain degree, and I've been very critical of Aaron Rodgers, I kind of get where he's coming from. I don't, I don't agree with Aaron that it's about simplifying the offense. I think it's about, you know what? Matt LaFleur doesn't know what he's doing. And the Packers front office, which Aaron deserves a little bit of blame because he kind of drove Devontae Adams out the door, you know, could, could kind of use number 17 right now. But Aaron deserves blame as well. Matt LaFleur, to me, deserves the most blame. The Packers front office, to a certain degree, deserves blame. Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Alan Lazard, and then your guys who you felt like would be your best receivers this year, Cobb, Watkins, Sam, talking about Sammy Watkins, they're out. Of course they're out. They've always had injury issues. Randall Cobb, part of the reason... It's because he's getting up there in age. I think this is Randall Cobb's 12th season in the NFL. But when you're a Packers offense that has the likes of A.J. Dillon, who seems like every other game is just bruising through people, they call him Quadzilla in Green Bay because his, you know, his quads are massive. They're like the size of Saquon Barkley's. And then you got Aaron Jones, who up until last week was leading the NFL in yards per carry. He was averaging five yards per carry. Your receiving core isn't very good. And you keep throwing it. I mean, what do you, especially, especially when the Packers are up by two scores. If there's ever a time to give Aaron Jones the ball. Hello, you're up 14. At this point, you're just trying to eat clock. This dude's clueless.
He's not like Brandon Saley or Nathaniel Hackett bad. Like those guys just flat out don't know what they're doing. Th- those guys are lost. Matt LaFleur's not lost. He comes out with, with good opening game plans every week. But he never adjusts. Never adjusts. So it's, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like if you like, if say say the study guide is the same as the test. Say the, you, you study the study guide assuming that it's going to be the exact same in the exact same order as the test. And the first three, four questions on the test, you're like, oh, man, I got this. And you get the answers right. And then the test throws you for a curveball, which, man, we, we all know what that feels like. That's never a good feeling. Test throws you a curveball. You're like, oh, crap, I didn't. I wasn't ready for this. That, that's Matt LaFleur. He wasn't ready for the test. It is what it is. But we do have a game tonight. Weeks, well, actually, before I get into that, uh, MLB playoffs. Um, so my predictions are going not as poorly as last year. Because my predictions last year, folks, were awful in the playoffs. After the wild card round, I got one series right, which was Dodgers-Giants. Also that, I got every single series wrong after that. That's that, that's how that's how bad I've been. This year, not not quite so much. I've gotten three series right going into the in the LCS. Uh, but you got Padres, Phillies tied at a game apiece. You've got the Astros beat the Yankees last night. I think this thing's over in five. I think the ALCS is over in five games. The Yankees are completely reliant on the home run, which you know how they gotten the vast majority of their runs this postseason. They struggled to get on base consistently. Unlike Cleveland, who they just played the last run and got taken to five games. And then Houston not only gets base, but hits for power. And unlike the Yankees, the Astros' rotation and the Astros' bullpen is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Uh, Dusty Baker as well, I thought, did a great job last night, especially in that little eighth-inning jam there at the end when the Yankees were were trying to make a little run, trying to get back into the ballgame, chance to possibly tie it or take the lead. Dusty Baker went to Ryan Presley, his closer, who got the four-out save. Astros should win that series in five games and get to the World Series. I'm pulling for Dusty Baker, man. Just because I don't like Houston, I want Dusty Baker to get a ring. I want Dusty Baker to get himself a ring, finally. Uh, But we got a game tonight, week seven. It's crazy how fast time flies. Week seven kicks off tonight between the New Orleans Saints and the Arizona Cardinals. Let's start the back right now. So first of all... Ten times better than the last two Thursday night games, then we're in for a decent football game. Not a great football game. If it's ten times better, we're in for a decent football game, which is frankly on these Thursday night games is all we can ask for. Okay, Amazon Prime is really screwing us over. Point is, Cardinals in this game are favored minus two and a half. Now, there's a big issue here for the New Orleans Saints. Okay, a lot of guys are out. A lot of guys are out. Marshawn Lattimore's out. Okay, Michael Thomas is out. They're dealing with all kinds of injuries to a lot of their key players. We're not exactly certain who's going to start at the time of recording this in the morning. This is not live. Hate that I can't uh, reply to your comments. But it looks like Andy Dalton is going to start tonight over Jameis Winston. But when you have a limited amount of weapons, which, by the way, and Andy Dalton, who I've always said is is the best quarterback in the league to me when it comes to low-end starter, high-end backup. Like, I thought he played very well last week against his old team, the Bengals. He's had his moments here and there against Minnesota. But in terms of the injuries to the secondary defensively against a Cardinals team that is now getting back DeAndre Hopkins, who at his best is a top five receiver in football. When they just traded for a guy like Robbie Anderson, 
who is no Hollywood Brown, who unfortunately went down for the season uh, with an injury. We wish him the very best in his recovery. But listen, this is a this is two two and fourteen trying to get back in the playoff mix. This is a this is a get right game. It's a short week. Okay, both teams coming off of a loss. Arizona's offense looked horrible against a bad Seattle defense last week. Saints' offense looked great, but their defense got torched by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase in the Superdome. Cardinals are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I feel like this is a game. The score, My final score won't indicate it, but this feels like a game that the Cardinals are kind of going to dominate throughout, run the football well. Kyler will make some throws. Uh, it'll take a little bit for DeAndre Hopkins to kind of get his timing back, but I think the Cardinals will win this game to start week seven, 24-19 uh, to 19 over the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I have a hard time believing that Andy Dalton is going to uh, be able to outduel uh, the likes of Kyler Murray as, as inconsistent as he has been this season. Give me the Cardinals to win this game 24-19 to 19 over the New Orleans Saints to start week seven uh, of the NFL, which, by the way, has some very, very, very fascinating matchups. Very fascinating matchups that I can't wait to predict tomorrow. But until then, that is all the time here for today's show. I appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving It Up Live tomorrow, my prediction show, and I'll react to tonight's game, by the way, at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Also, be sure to like, care, share, comment, and most importantly, hit that big red subscribe button to the Carving It Up podcast, my YouTube channel. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And hit that subscribe button on the Grid Network, the new podcast and platform a part of. You see the Grid Network up there. I also got some merch, Carving Up Merch. Go to my Instagram. The link is there. Get some merch. Get all the merch, okay? But subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Network on YouTube. You can also listen to Carving It Up as well as uh, my other guys' uh, uh, shows on there, All Even Podcast, Rocket Fuel, Clutch Sports Talk, Chaotic Sports. Uh, am I missing anybody? I don't think I'm missing anybody. I hope I'm not. But uh, all, all, all the shows, everything, Grid Networks, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. Everywhere you listen to your podcast. Go check it out. So, till tomorrow's show, have a great evening, everybody. Continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Got a trend hashtag return to Dak. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.